World War Covid. From Weapon World to Peace World. Learner, begin. Please don't vomit in the salad bar. Liberty, in the Jeffersonian sense, cannot survive a continual packing in of people. If our numbers continue to rise on a resource base that expands but little, the future inevitably holds ever greater restrictions on individual freedom. Our descendants will not be able to live as we live and our free American and European ways of doing things will seem like poems of the past. Liberty will fall progressively as the numbers rise, and obedient compliance with the majority must take the place of individual initiative. Perhaps some politician cleverer than the rest will arrange this necessary peaceful compliance and call it free. Paul Collenbach's, The Fates of Nations, A Biological Theory of History, Simon & Schuster, New York, 1980, p. 349. To begin with, the following should be obvious to everyone. But it has not yet begun to be. Be fruitful and multiply does not mean multiply like rabbits without a predator until you burn up the planet. Just like the all-you-can-eat sign does not mean feel free to throw up in the salad bar. Rigorous family planning should have been set up everywhere on earth decades ago, the poorer the region, the more thorough its family planning. Instead, a pack of dark age yahoos took charge of its global suppression with well-financed if criminal stupidity. We should take hold of this forgotten truth, children are the most promising recipients of mass devotion. It may surprise you, but raising a healthy child may be the ultimate worldly sacrament, or at least not hindering the child's development. Every infant should be a gift from heaven, not a wish fulfillment. Compensation for loneliness and neglect. A desperate shot at immortality. Submission to family, church, and state pressure. An outlet for one's own childhood torments. Mass-produced cannon fodder. The inarticulate expression of motherhood or fatherhood. Mucilage for a shaky marriage. A blend of medical virtuosity and misplaced longing. Grandmothers bearing their grandchildren to term does this planet not produce enough children fit for adoption. A biological old age pension plan, God's own social security as one fundamentalist put it dead serious, he was. The only permissible outcome of sex, or. The legislated outcome of unwanted pregnancy. Throughout history, irresponsible people were favored to breed. In medieval Europe as much as elsewhere, such arrangements were commonplace. Those with more brains, both men and women, were set aside for religious celibacy, while titled bullies and peasant brutes, mostly illiterate, were abandoned to militant fertility. Nowadays in Germany and elsewhere, studious, hard-working young women don't have the time and support to have children while they pursue their professional ambition. Maternity is more likely among women who have their first child before they finish high school. Learners will provide daycare and financial support for professional women who need to take time off to raise children, and intensive education for teenage moms and their offspring. Earlier on, creative minds got sucked into the first cities. Downtown overcrowding and grimy turmoil ensured higher mortality and lower birth rates, on average, than the countryside where rural folk and their fertile progeny took their chances with sporadic famine, endemic banditry, and terminal boredom. Generally speaking, the brighter the creature, the less likely to breed under adverse conditions. Captive animals refuse to raise a cub if excessive noise, malnutrition, and overcrowding prevent them from doing so. Heightened stress induces physiochemical imbalances in the reproductive cycle of neurologically gifted species, it increases the likelihood of sterility, stillbirth, infant mortality, and perhaps mutants, sociopaths and infertile offspring, it lowers immunity and increases vulnerability. The dismal history of humanity reflects this sterilizing level of stress at least for those smart enough to notice it. The human genotype seems tough enough to churn out relatively smart beings on average. 
there's no telling how much smarter our ancestors were, compared to us. Are we breeding ourselves for stupidity as well as aggression? The two traits tend to merge, don't you think? Has humanity cancelled out eons of true-bred endurance during the last few millennia of liquor-sodden weapon management? Fragmentary ancient literature offers few clues as to which age displays superior temperament, ours today, or one prior. Our suppression of sacred wonder is a dependable sign of modern senescence, as are the growing evils of weapon mentality. If we don't restrict the human genotype to a few idealized clones, the way we've done with crops and livestock, genetic diversity should sire a dependable bell curve of intellect fit for higher pursuit. Disparities between human races are like those between two automobiles of the same make and model but sporting different paint jobs and option packages. Some weapon mentors claim they've uncovered racial differences more significant than those caused by obvious environmental variables, pollution, starvation, cultural isolation, enslavement, etc. Repeated attempts to document these claims have failed despite elaborate approaches bankrolled by bigoted elites. Any group that deviated markedly from the human norm would have been reabsorbed into it or ejected from it. It would either have displaced lesser humans through superior adaptability or disappeared through incompetence, monstrosity, and genocide. Human sexuality has blended the genetic milkshake much more briskly than we care to admit. Whether by commerce and marriage, by affection and elopement or by warfare and rape, human lineages have intermixed avidly. These days, a racial pureblood is a statistical freak and a geographic anomaly, Racial purity is more a function of self-delusion than of DNA. Any good farmer will tell you that crossbreeds are more robust on the whole than purebreds. The purer the noble blood and the smaller the genetic pool it could draw from, the weaker and dumber its offspring, vulnerable under all but the best circumstances. In spite of adverse conditions, weeds thrive due to their genetic freedom. Learners will find little interest in purifying human eugenics. Natural diversity and freedom of choice will be promoted within a flowering of good conscience and Vedic architecture. Any lesser goal is just slow-motion suicide. Quite often in the past, fanatical bigots dove into the depths of psychosexual pathology and annihilated entire peoples just for having the wrong blood and certain peculiar habits. Fortunately, those who have attempted the stunt have allied the whole world, horrified, against them. Their execution of the other has earned them nothing but their own. Then said Jesus unto him, put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Matthew 26 52, The Bible. Hitler and his crazy cronies seized upon this prism pathology. Aryan tribes, often almost ridiculously small in number, subjugated foreign peoples and, stimulated by the conditions of life which their new country offered them, fertility, the nature of the climate, etc., and profiting also from the abundance of manual labor furnished them by the inferior race, developed intellectual and organizing faculties which had hitherto been dormant in these conquering tribes. Within the course of a few thousand years, or even centuries, they gave life to cultures whose primitive traits completely corresponded to the character of the founders, though modified by adaptation to the peculiarities of the soil and the characteristics of the subjugated people. But finally the conquering race offended against the principles which they first had observed, namely, the maintenance of their racial stock unmixed, and they began to intermingle with the subjugated people. Thus, they put an end to their own separate existence, for the original sin committed in paradise has always been followed by the expulsion of the guilty parties. After a thousand years or more the last visible traces of those former masters may then be found in a lighter tint of the skin which the Aryan blood had bequeathed to the subjugated race, and in a fossilized culture of which those Aryans had been the original creators. For just as the blood of the conqueror, who was a conqueror not only in body but also in spirit, got submerged in the blood of the subject race, 
so the substance disappeared out of which the torch of human culture and progress was kindled. In so far as the blood of the former ruling race has left a light nuance of color in the blood of its descendants, as a token and a memory, the night of cultural life is rendered less dim and dark by a mild light radiated from the products of those who were the bearers of the original fire. Their radiance shines across the barbarism to which the subjected race has reverted and might often lead the superficial observer to believe that he sees before him an image of the present race when he is really looking into a mirror wherein only the past is reflected. It may happen that in the course of its history such a people will come into contact a second time, and even oftener, with the original founders of their culture and may not even remember that distant association. Instinctively the remnants of blood left from that old ruling race will be drawn towards this new phenomenon and what had formerly been possible only under compulsion can now be successfully achieved in a voluntary way. A new cultural wave flows in and lasts until the blood of its standard bearers becomes once again adulterated by intermixture with the originally conquered race. It will be the task of those who set themselves to the study of a universal history of civilization to investigate history from this point of view instead of allowing themselves to be smothered under the mass of external data, as is only too often the case with our present historical science. Adolf Hitler, Mein Kampf, Volume 2, Chapter 6 Take your local bigots, take them from me, please. Replace the designation Aryan with their preferred race, their own, replace the flowery palaver quoted above with the incoherence of rage and ignorance, and you will have heard something similar from people just like them on your home ground. It wouldn't matter where those bigots came from, what language they spoke or what they looked like. Their worship of racial purity and bloodline nobility is just another manifestation of the reptilian limbic system that all of us inherit but they alone are enslaved to. It's interesting to reverse the quotation above and note its pertinence. The flame of, matrilineal, civilization was there to begin with and rekindles today despite the patrilineal abuse of slaver Aryans. Another interesting idea is that the self-glorification of bigots would merely be the displaced worship of extraterrestrials who may have reprogrammed our culture and DNA to turn us from mere upgraded apes into farmers, city dwellers, creative thinkers, and potential sun treaders. Reread the above text with that in mind and see how well things fit. No one dogma or genotype can resolve every problem under every circumstance and from every point of view. The pursuit of happiness is everyone's private business. It cannot be controlled from above. At best, government may accelerate the withdrawal from misery. Eugenic improvement will hold no interest for learners. The code two farts of the world's human overburden confirm our torrid adaptation to it. Average birth rates have fallen somewhat in developed nations. Unfortunately, each first world child burns up more resources and generates more garbage than dozens of children from impoverished nations. Thus, when rich couples conceive another child, they spawn many more consumer equivalents. Lower. More praiseworthy birth rates in the first world still amplify overconsumption and waste. Compared to it, the higher birth rates of the third world are an equal or lesser burden, though their eventual development will require several Earth's worth of resources unless peace world radically transforms consumer priorities. There is no valid reason to worsen this traffic jam whether among first or third world peoples. Chinese couples have submitted to a one-child birth limitation, a limit learners will go well beyond. More and more liberties may become routine in the future, that we would consider anarchic and unmanageable today. Only one sphere of human endeavor will require strict regulation, the one exempted from it all this time, having and raising babies. Of course, any suggestion of this kind will draw howls of heresy, blasphemy, and outrage. Once this regulation is adopted, thriving criminal syndics will see to it that unimaginable crimes fester in black markets of illegal human childbirth, cloning and enslavement each driven by the darkest of human compulsion. Compared to it, 
the American prohibition of alcohol and then recreational drugs will seem like annoying family squabbles at a county fair. Show me a valid alternative and I will drop mine like a hot brick from my bare hands. Government regulation will be necessary, whatever nightmare that implies, because those wise enough to comply will be worthy of having children, while many rebels, not so much. It would have been much better if we had turned this argument into a matter of morality and guilt feeling during decades of complicated philosophical debate. Too bad we don't have that much time. A general dialogue on these issues, however brief, could promote a consensus broad enough to support such laws and better manage their worst consequences. I drafted what follows categorically. It remains to be seen whether it will be adopted without compromise, given enough time. In the meantime, these principles should be applied much less dogmatically and only insofar possible provided peace prevails, in incremental steps and after much debate. The generations we should have taken to reason them through to everyone's satisfaction, they've shrunk to a few short years and months. It is dreadful to witness how well we've confirmed our collective madness. Learner genius beyond question must prevail over it to assure our long-term survival. So here goes. Everyone will undergo a reversible sterilization at puberty as a rite of passage into adulthood with all its privileges and obligations. This might involve supervised drug dosages or reversible minor surgery. Countless licenses are issued to drive, to practice law, to go fishing and for a thousand other pursuits. Alas, there is neither the supply nor the demand for advanced training in raising a healthy child. No one bothers to note that child raising is a far graver responsibility and obligation than all those carefully licensed tasks. Please consult Adrian Rain, The Anatomy of Violence. Those who insist on having children should undergo advanced training in child care, internships serving the elderly and the disabled, and in-depth psychological testing. They should vow to care for children as a lifelong priority. Each graduate's fertility would then be restored for a full-term pregnancy. Newborn children will be matched with an extended family of natural and surrogate parents both fertile and sterile. No adult should endure the toil of child care single-handed, and no difficult child should be left in the hands of impatient, hostile, and indifferent biological parents, the recipe for adult criminals and warriors in large numbers. Children should be taught socialization skills by the best role models we can find and by age peers just as well treated. Learners will not tolerate child abuse of any kind, accidental, institutional, or criminal. There will be far fewer regrettable exceptions that current societies mass-produce. Indeed, the amazing success of education in Finland may show us the way. They shut down all their teaching colleges with mediocre standards if you can't do, teach, and replace them with elite degree programs as honorable as the astronaut program, in eight universities as hard to get into as MIT. Child test scores improved by two or three standard deviations, a result declared impossible elsewhere. This new child-bearing priesthood will recruit talented amateurs on a full or part-time basis either temporary or permanent. Such communities will require the same financial support we lavish on the military today, including generous allotments of life necessities, special services, and full-time salaries. If necessary, couples bearing more than one child would hand over additional offspring to these extended family groups, safe havens for orphans, runaways, and other young victims of abuse. Parents certified to be reliable after their delivery will be spared this fate and allowed to raise their children naturally. The love between parent and child is one of the strongest forces in nature. Learners must not stand between them without good reason, neither should they refuse to take a stand between them if good reason to do so exists. This text advocates these extraordinary measures for five reasons. 1. We need to reverse humanity's historic selection for fertility and aggression. 2. Every child should grow up in a loving and permissive environment, the best one we can arrange, 
where minimal punishments are based on guilt and not fear of brutality. 3. Note, guilt, not shame. Guilt is interdirected, it promotes empathy for victims and leads to repentance and reparations. Shame is impersonal and objectifying. Those who suffer from it consider themselves victims and blame everyone else, which triggers additional rage and violence. With a few exceptions, history's shadists, tormentors, and criminals, both petty and imperial, grew up as children abused by violence and shameful humiliation. Interestingly, so did many great learners, guilt-driven to do good despite the abuse they were inflicted. For the human population needs to shrink to a fraction of its current, useless bulk calmly, quickly, and voluntarily. The fastest way to do so would be to have birth rates immediately worldwide and have them again several times within the next few decades, inducing a net decline across every human population without the need for more war and killing. 5. Are you still awake? It might seem that such stern measures could do no more than lighten, at enormous social cost, the enormous burden humanity imposes on the world today. There are 7 billion of us, soon to be 10 billion or more, a deep footprint indeed for planet Earth. When a certain species leaves such a heavy footprint, it invites global disaster. A lighter one would allow us more leeway. But this is not the only reason. It is not so much the mass of humanity that burdens the earth today, as the shoddy quality of our thought and culture with its ensuing waste per capita. Nature could easily trim us down to acceptable numbers. Corporate greed and subsequent mass casualty disasters could produce this toll of misery almost effortlessly. The above listed measures would still be worthwhile, even if humanity got hammered down to a few fertile couples. World-dominant species have perished this way in the past once their footprint grew too heavy for the world ecology to maintain, but rarely before. We should transmit the fertility instructions listed above, if only to ensure that our rare replacements don't repeat our overpopulation mistakes during fertile generations to come. According to Richard Chatwin, in The Anatomy of Restlessness, our constitutional freedoms were built into the lifestyle of ancient hunter-gatherers, mainly because primal mothers and relatives carried their infants everywhere they went between the first five birthdays of the infant's life. On the island of Bali, for example, it is bad luck for an infant's feet to touch ground while relatives remained awake. All other things being equal, prolonged handling and a mobile perspective from adult height enhances the neurological development of infants. Healthy communities of healthy adults raising healthy children would promote our cherished freedoms best. It was only with the plant trap, and its unavoidable hyperfertility, wife abuse, and child neglect, that our social problems began to fester in earnest. If our children were as rare as plump diamonds, we would treat them royally, as should be their due. Because we consider them as common as dirt, we abuse and neglect far too many of them, except our own. It is not surprising that many survivors of this neglect and abuse grow up to be treacherous and slash or sickly adults. Irrational nature selects wastefully and with the maximum of pain and misery, requiring innumerable individuals to be born in order that they may struggle and perish. Rational humanity would economize and humanize this struggle by substituting a rational, social test of parenthood for the destruction of children by starvation, disease, or weakness. To prevent reproduction from bad stock, however difficult and dangerous it may be, is obviously the first duty of an organized society, acting alike in its own self-defense and for the interests of its individual members. It is not necessary for the safety and progress of society that unfit children should die, it is necessary that they should not be born, and ultimately the society which prospers most in the character of its members will be the one which best fulfills this preventive duty. From J.A. Hobson, Imperialism, a study, George Allen and Onwin Limited, London, 1948, pages 163 to 164.
criminal negligence has kept humanity off balance for so long, we face the choice of a desperate surgeon. Eighty years ago, humanity needed to get its teeth cleaned. Nothing doing, too busy. Fifty some years ago, advised that a painful restorative procedure was necessary, we bemoaned expense and pain. Twenty years ago, several teeth had to be filled. Once again, no consent. Ten years later, nothing despite more and more pain. Last year, some rotten teeth had to be pulled. Still nothing. Nowadays, the equivalent of open skull surgery offers a last chance to dodge cerebral sepsis. There's no time left to wine and dine in pathetic indecision, what humanity seems to do best. Comment. Mark Mulligan at Comcast.net